I think that the decade that we're in now, 2022 through 2032, will be making constellations. Really, beyond curating, I think it's really actually making sense of things. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Jennifer Sertle. Jennifer is president and founder of leadership development company Agility3R, director of marketing at Circle Optics, and adjunct professor of innovation at Rochester Institute of Technology. She is the co-author of Strategy, Leadership, and the Soul, an advisor or ambassador for a wide range of very interesting initiatives in America and globally. You can find more on her work at agility3r.com, that's with the numeral three, and on her very prominent Twitter account, Jennifer Sertel, with her surname spelled S-E-R-T-L. In this episode, you will learn about scenarios for sense-making, contributing to the global brain, the power of reflection, your Elite 18, the feedback loops of sharing, building constellations, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Jennifer's wonderful insights. Jennifer, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Ross, for having you. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the men of the round table, Arthur and his knights. Knights and of the round table. Of, the knights of the round table, yes. And so when I think of, you know, the lineage of scenario planning, where you and I learned from, I think, someone that was part of the team that actually coined the phrase scenario planning, I feel as you a brother in that domain. Yes, well, scenarios are absolutely one of the most powerful ways to make sense of the world. You know, this idea of, I think the classic idea is once you've established a set of scenarios, that provides a filter for be perceiving what fits with the scenarios, what is more likely to lead to one of the scenarios unfolding, making sense of the world. So I certainly feel that scenario planning is one of the most valuable tools to uh, you know, filter and make sense of a world of information. Absolutely. Jennifer, I've known you for a long time, and I always think of you as you know one of the most visible and obvious contributors to the global brain in terms of being able to filter and make sense of the world and share what it is that you find, which you know people will find useful to contribute to their mental models and thinking. So where, where does that start for you? What's the, that process of, uh, well, and perhaps starting from the attitude? behind your seeking and finding and sharing. Absolutely. So one of the things that I feel, especially in the world of gadgets, is that people almost feel that they have nothing to contribute but their ability to interpret. And what I really want to invite people to do is to realize that your competitive advantage 
is the accuracy in which you scan your environment and the way that you process what you scan and make decisions. And that ultimately, if people valued that their lens and the strength of their lens is their competitive advantage, I think people would probably take better care of themselves. So the mindset that I'm really kind of wanting to invite this conversation is that we only treated ourselves as well as we treat our gadgets. We probably would have a better time thriving on overload. So how is it that we can treat ourselves well in a, in a world of overload? So I think, you know, um, I was lucky enough to be given a reviewer's copy of Thriving on Overload. And what was so great is that um, so many of the attributes that you talk about are things that are part of the practice. So one is, I think, inviting everyone here to define their own sense of uh, how to participate in the world. By that, I was lucky enough um, and I know we had this conversation earlier that I was lucky enough to to have a conversation with Thomas Friedman, who wrote The World is Flat. And this was back in 2005. And one of the profound things about having that conversation with him, one is that he introduced me to John Hagel and the idea of the power of pull. But I also realized that I was helping companies compete and that what I really should have been doing is helping companies condition right? And that um, there's a difference between preparing people to win, if you will, or, or saying, can you be in great condition? So I went through a pretty significant change in my consulting practice as well as myself. And I, I named three words. And the three words were resilience, responsiveness, and reflection. And so, you know, my ability to make sense of the world is really how well I can be resilient be responsive and be reflective. And you had mentioned the word filter before when we talked about scenario planning and, and what naming and claiming um, kind of my lens of the world is, is that it allowed me to sharpen what it is that I need to practice and what fits and what doesn't fit. So I don't try and come into an organization or come into people and say that you should use my three words, resilience, responsiveness, and reflection. I actually ask, what is your filter? And if, if they don't have their filter, then there's some really neat exercises I can do to help them create that filter. And with it, um, it creates an internal true north. And once you have an internal true north, I think you trust yourself. I think that's one of the things about thriving on overload is that ability to have a sense of trusting yourself. Can you give me a, an example of that process in a, in, a, in a nutshell of how you might take a leadership team through finding those filters, that, that uh, way of being able to perceive the world? I can give you the exercise that I use, but it comes with a caveat, and that it is that it is very dangerous to do in teams, right? Because unfortunately, we are hardwired to be loved and lovable. And what that ends up doing in a power struggle, and I, I have never been in an environment, including my family, right, that is not some sort of power struggle. The exercise that I use is, um, I love the number 18. You've probably heard this before, is that, you know, if there's every 18 months, there's a lunar eclipse somewhere, and whoever decided that a golf course should have 18 holes, right? And then if you actually get into a situation like COVID where you're drinking a lot of whiskey, you realize that there's 18 shots in a whiskey bottle. <laughs> so, so the number 18 means a great deal to me. And so what I talk to people about is the idea of the elite 18, which is actually, and again, the caveat is this is a very private exercise. You can actually set it up 
in teams, but never no one should actually disclose what they come up with as their elite 18 of people that they admire or hope they can meet in their lifetime, right? Essentially, we are born for mirroring, right? That's one of the reasons why, if not that to bring religion into it, but one of the reasons why the Madonna figure is so important is that there's a, the, the idea of um, someone looking into a child, and a child really doesn't know a child exists until it has the gaze, right? And so behaviorally, we are hardwired for modeling. And so when you take the time to think of who are models that I admire. And this is where it gets tricky in teams. People want to know, well, who's on your list or who's on your list? And I say that it's very tricky business to be thinking about who would be on your elite 18 list. But once I've seen people's perceived elite 18 list, meaning that I probably never get the truth of who they really want on their list, right? I can usually help people determine what are the most significant three words because each person kind of represents a latitude and a longitude, and it makes it accessible to be able to kind of get at what is their core identity and then how can they cultivate, protect, and strengthen that particular identity. Bringing this to the information and the overload. Yeah. You know, I use the word purpose as the first frame, and what it sounds like you're talking about is identity. Is that sort of then the what you are identifying and understanding so that you can filter the world? Yeah, so if your competitive advantage is your ability to have a sense of accuracy relative to X, it's really important that you name what X is. Even as far as technology goes, I think at the end of the day, it's all about a sense of belonging and identity. It's so hard for me to separate out a filter from a sense of belonging and being. And although these terms are intellectual, they're very private to how a sense a person believes that they can create value. And the whole creating of value is being lovable at a core human level. And so this outcome of the words that define yourself. So how is this applied? Yeah, of course, it's applied throughout every, everything you do in the sense of being able to determine what is relevant to you. Is this that then becomes something which is you refer to or just implicit in terms of understanding what's relevant to you? Yeah, I think that that is actually why you had mentioned at the beginning, I have really a very global uh, brand and I built it simply by being true to resilience, responsiveness, and reflection, right? When I began to put things through the portal that was either my LinkedIn, my Facebook, and Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is I do, I put it through that filter. And, and I think that what it creates is like a lighthouse, is that there's a sense of affinity. People have an affinity towards my lens. And no, I know that no matter who's listening, that if they took the time to codify their lens, that they're, and they used it as a filter by which how they participate externally in the world, it would actually help them create more of a, a pull strategy. Internally, I know when I do my own journal practice that we do have to create a time in which we reflect on how we perceive that we're being. And when I use that same tool, you know, where was I resilient? Where was I responsive? How can I be more reflective? When I ask those questions, there's never a time when I haven't had something to say, both plus and delta. 
plus being something affirmative in which I noticed that I did it well. And the delta being the triangle for change is that I still have work to do, right? My lens does not have an inner critic because I know if I'm afraid of judgment, I won't be as accurate as a read in the macro environment, right? So my job is accuracy and truth. Truth can't be critical. Truth has to be accurate. I struggled a bit when I was writing the chapter one of living network, uh, sorry, driving an overload on purpose. And part of it is saying, well, purpose is yeah. not what the book is about. The purpose is, you know, it's around information. And so it's like purpose relative to information, but really began with that idea of identity. This idea of you need to know who you are and the information is filtered by your perception of your identity, but also shapes your identity. As in, as you see new things, you could learn more about who you are. So I think that journey of identity is, you know, one which you know you can look at it in many from many frames. But I think in, in just simply that information frame, it's fundamental in terms of saying you need to know who you are to know what's relevant to you. And as you discover that information, you that helps shape your identity. We'd like to to move on to you as a curator, as you know, one word, and I think there's there's more to it than that. But you uncover wonderful things to be able to share uh, on your channel. So what's that, you know, let's get quite tactical here. What do you look at? How do you find uh, these interesting things? How do you determine what's relevant to your community? How is it you share that? What what are your daily practices to do that? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. And I, I know sometimes talking about Twitter now is somewhat volatile, but I was an early adopter. And in 2009, what what I began to do is um, I tried, believe it or not, very hard not to be a woman and try not to be an American in that when I participated, I participated at the idea level, right? And as I began to be a beacon, I noticed people started following me back. And what I ended up doing is actually um, curate, like I, I started collecting people that I found interesting and then put them into categories, both from where they were from, what country, as well as what their thought model was, right? So I have a group of system thinkers. I have a group of people that are design thinkers. I have uh, a group on sustainability. Now I'm in the world of 360 imaging. I now capture thought leaders that are that are talking about, you know, that that photography. And and it is, you know, my secret sauce. And how you ask is that um, I just got really good at being able to see the identity of the person I was following and then put them into categories that were important to me, right? And so it became easy to to then collect what are these people that I find interesting thinking about on a daily basis. What also is a word that I think is underutilized now is reciprocity, right? It isn't, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And that is very transactional. You know, we were using the word metasphere before it got <laughs> a little bit contaminated. But in the new sphere, you know, in the collective intelligence of the groups that we participate in, if we found things that were interesting to them, if you can identify a person's core theme and core purpose, if you found things that were interesting, you could tag them. And through really, I mean, believe it or not, you know, well over 15 years of tagging and collecting and nurturing people 
and ideas, it ends up being this incredible feedback loop where I hate to say it, but I wake up and I I have the most important information literally at my fingertips because I've created those filters as well as people tag me. And I'm so lucky that um, that I'm involved and people know that they'll be attributed you know, so it isn't about hoarding information. It's really about being someone that say people trust Jennifer Sertle with information because it goes further with her. And so she becomes an important agent of that information. And when that happens, you don't have to look. You have to look at who do you trust? And then that trust, I mean, I, I think that's like the next layer is that I can't possibly process all the information, but I know who I trust. And one of the reasons we're talking is that early on, Ross, you were someone I trusted. I think it was accidentally that we learned that we had some people in common. It was um, your commitment to visualize information and it was beautiful and you made it shareable and you made it easy to extend your brand and make sure that you were being attributed because it was all so frictionless to make sure like sometimes the sharing is frictionless but the attribution piece is missing and for people that really care about attribution it's hard because then you have to make sure that you attribute and do all that and what you did so wonderfully and continue to do so wonderfully well even in thriving on overload is the images that you create are so prescient you know they're they're just condensed information beautiful to share easy to share you are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com course to find out more. Now back to the show. I mentioned in the book the idea of diffuse reciprocity, but I, you know, yours is more specific in terms of, I think that the essence of what you're describing is where when you see something which is interesting, you know who it is interesting to. Because as you say, these are not just you know identities which share information. They're not just tweet streams. They are people. Because you understand what these people are interested in, when you see things, you share with those people, oh, I think so-and-so would be interested in that, or so-and-so. And so you are actively giving. You know, this is the, precisely this contributing to the global brain in the sense of saying, well, it's not just, oh, here's something, I'll throw it out there, but I'll throw it in this direction, in this direction, in this direction, because I know it's there. And that reciprocity comes where people say, oh, well, I know that Jennifer would be interested in that. She has shared with me, I will share with her. And that becomes, you become then in that center of that sharing and particularly knowing who is going to be interested in something. I describe in the, the book um, Venture Capital, Fred Wilson, I think it was, uh, who oh, basically yeah. says, you know, the, the most important information I get is people, you know, is from people. And it's just people who know what I'm interested in. They send me what I need to know. And uh, everything I need to know, people send to me because they know what, what's interesting to me. And these are the, the most interesting people out there. So this is, you know, I think, you know, you, this is, I think it's an interesting intersection which you're describing here of the thriving overload, how it is that we thrive uh, in a world of information and the living networks where it is, you know, those who are contributing, not just by filtering for themselves, but by filtering for the community, by filtering right. for those people they know, by knowing their identities, by knowing 
what it is they're interested in. You know, it's so amazing talking to you, Russ, because as I look at the background, um, you have a wonderful galaxy behind you, right? And I think that the decade for me, you know, 2009 to, to around, you know, 2019 was really about connecting those dots, right? There's participating and creating clusters, right? And and now, um, as I like, this is a brand new idea. For everyone listening, this is a statement I've never said before in this context with Ross right now. I think that the decade that we're in now, 2022 through 2032, will be the constellation, making constellations. Really, beyond curating, I think it's really actually making sense, of things, sense-making, and actually creating um, really beyond connecting those dots is actually creating iconic uh, ways that people can actually both see the shape of the thing as well as make sense of it. It's about making sense right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so this, you know, the idea of the synthesis, of connecting the dots, you know, then, you know, the constellations is, you know, how are these dots connected? Oh, in this particular pattern. You know, it's a, it's a lovely uh, description of that. So for you, what, what's that process going to look like? You know, and in a way, that's, you know, obviously what you've been doing for a long time anyway, is being able to pull together those dots and make yeah. sense of them. But I mean, even if we just to, to speculate on this as a time of the constellations of the connecting of the dots, and, yeah. you know, what, what is it that we are doing, can do, you know, will do to be able to... Uh, to build these constellations? What do you think? I know that there was a time where there was this pressure to publish or perish and you had to keep creating content and all. And I was someone that, you know, I wrote a book in 2010, Strategy, Leadership and the Soul. And I really kind of felt like I don't like to write unless I feel compelled, right? And so as you're asking this question, I'm thinking, I look forward to knowing what my role is with the constellations, right? Because the the only thing I can feel right now is that I want to invite people to have more courage, right? That for me, the answer to your question is to create time and space for processing and to not force anything but be open to it. And then I think, what do I need in order to have the patience for that next thing to emerge is the word courage, is that we're in a place where we might feel frenetic to have an activity or feel that we'll be left behind if we don't do a certain thing. And and I feel I feel in the sense-making truth of it all is that what we need is quiet and what we need is trust. And I believe that collective unconscious is speaking through us. You know, that next layer wants to be known and it probably has new language. And, and I think that it's just a matter of having, it's, I've never, you know, I've never been disappointed by allowing quiet to inform the next iteration of whatever it is that I'm doing personally, or whatever it is that needs to be said. This, I mean, this comes back to, you know, you've said the third R is reflection. And I think you know, a number of things we've already yeah. talked about, including what you've just uh, been saying is about reflection. So I'd like to dig into that Word, reflection. Well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean for when you're explaining that to somebody? What is that practice? Inputs to reflection, what are the outputs to reflection? What's so important, and we're learning more and more, and in the United States, even doctors are now prescribing the idea of going out to nature. So when you're working, and hopefully many people are working in hybrid spaces, 
um, it's really important that you have downtime and that you actually design downtime, right? Like, it, you know, before I, like if people work full time, I remember them really liking having to drive to work from having a meeting with me and having that time between driving to go. And now people are doing Zoom meetings. They may be less likely to actually create space between things. So the first is to always make sure that there's space in between things. The other is to make sure that that you're in an environment where um, that you can be in nature or you can, you know, even if you're in an, in, a, in an urban environment where you can't go in nature, that you actually create a way to listen to water rustling or, you know, there's wonderful noisemakers that have all kinds of natural sounds and that I would invite you to take sound baths if you if you don't have access to nature, you know, take, take an environment that, and, and kind of force function. It literally feels like a force function. It's counterintuitive. Um, and to, to really, you know, be sure that you are reading poetry in addition to fiction, in addition to whatever you need for your technical trades. Um, I, I believe that poetry kind of forces the pauses in between and that, that just, um, just being exposed to that type of nonlinear uh, architecture does something to the brain. Um, and, you know, all the rules that you have in your book around managing technology is that you have to, you have to actually say to yourself, I'm valuable and my senses are valuable and I will take care of myself the same way. You know, the most literal example is that, you know, I was, used to work with a manufacturing company that had a glass cutting machine called a CNC machine. And they they knew when it had to be unplugged and when it needed to be cooled down. And so you have to be unplugged. You have to cool down and you have to have, you know, the practices for me are journaling, writing and always making sure that I create, create space. Um, and I, too, am someone that does have a lot of alone time. Everyone kind of probably experienced me as an extrovert with a capital E. But the truth is I have an enormous amount of alone time. Um, and it's because I value processing. Um, and I'm not doing anything in that time except for just knowing something's happening. Um, it's, you know, it's almost Eastern religion is that there's never nothing going on. And I just trust that so much. In essence, giving yourself the space, particularly the... For, to, for that reflection, for what comes up, for the processing. Is that right? Totally. Solid liquid gas, right? So like the solid is like in physical spaces, making sure that you're actually creating space between. The liquid might be like the journaling where you're actually creating a space on a page that you're like, okay, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, maybe nothing's happening. This is boring. I want to go. I want to go, right? But there's space on a page. And then then the 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 the, the gas is really just being in silence. Silence would be the gas. If we wanted to make it, you know, a physical component, that would be the three ways in which I'd say we need that. Fantastic. So I want to, to round out by you sharing what, you know, you believe other people could find useful from what you do. You know, I think you, you have a you know, very distinct, unique uh, frame, perspective and practices and the, which, are, which are yours. So what of what you do, do you think others might find useful in their practices in daily life and uh, world of uh, immersion and information? 
I love that. I'm like, there's so many ways to answer it. I think if I don't feel like something, like if I'm not a contagion and you don't feel like I want to find out more about her, <laughs> my hope is that even on this call, I've given a couple of suggestions that I think people should really take advantage of. And I think honestly, the truth is to be interesting, right? Don't underestimate the way that you carve out your reality. Somebody wants to learn from that. Um, what I care about right now is uh, data ethics, um, for sure. You know, like in terms of the thing, the themes that I'm paying deeper attention to, really have to do with um, data ethics and and just learning more and more about our biases and how 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 important it is to know about biases because biases are being baked in. Um, and I'm, I'm really lucky, like the, um, I was always lucky as a coach to have a great coaching practice, but I've been able to, to translate that into being able to be a director of marketing for a couple of startups and, and really creating coherence inside of a company as well. Um, and so, you know, I invite, you know, people to, to find me and, and they will see pretty clearly, you know, who I'm representing and, and hopefully they find it interesting. Um, I would love, I know that you're creating a new practice group with your, your Thrive on Overload. You know, I would love an opportunity to, to help in any way I can with that practice because I do think um, the thing about you and I is that I think that like we've been to the future and are coming back. I think we have a lot of strength in how we lead this. And I do think people need strong models to help support them in creating new practices that are quite frankly counterintuitive and certainly countercultural. So I invite any way I can further the conversation around, you know, thriving on overload. I, you know, I feel very lucky to be talking to you about this. It's within our best interest to really care that deeply about thriving on overload. And I think you've created a beautiful roadmap for people. So where can uh, people find you, uh, Jennifer? Yes. And uh, the neatest thing is just in my name. Um, yeah, Je Jennifer Sertle. And I can be found on LinkedIn as well as um, on on Twitter as well. And um, I've started do, to do more in women equity um, and trying to get some funding for female founders. And so I have a podcast, Think, Build, Launch, to help support that practice. And um, and I'm, you know, definitely love love our communities and curating together. So I'm sure it will lead to even better things. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insight, uh, Jennifer. It's great to see you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.